0: Hello and welcome back, fight fans, to episode number 200B of the Neutral Corner Boxing Podcast. I am your host, Michael Montero, and today we're going to preview a couple of good fights this weekend. We got a few good fights, including a, a nice card, a nice doubleheader from New York. One of those fights at Madison Square Garden has huge implications for the lightweight division. So we'll get into that in just a minute. But first, some news and/or notes to cover. We got some uh, some mandates from a couple of different sanctioning organizations. Guys, before I get started with that, just a reminder, please, if you're watching live on YouTube, give this video a thumbs up. Best thing you could do is share the video on your social. And if you're listening later on on iTunes, Spreaker, Spotify, SoundCloud, wherever it is, same thing there. Give us a rating, a review if you can. If you haven't already, follow us, subscribe and forward the show posted on your social media that's the best thing you guys can do for me uh, happy thursday evening to all of you or some of you it might already be friday morning for those of you watching all over the world i sincerely appreciate it okay guys some quick news and notes first i uh, wanted to hit on this some ratings information i know some of you guys enjoy these ratings numbers here and keep up with this stuff. So, uh, Jamal Char- Charlo versus Dennis Hogan last week on Showtime did a peak audience of 275,000. That's not very good. And that is down significantly from even some of Charlo's recent fights. But you compare that to Wilder Brazil earlier this year, I think that peaked at almost a million. I know it was over 900,000. And that was only one round. Think about it. That fight didn't even last three minutes. So, that fight was very likely going to peak at over a million between Wilder and Brazil. So you see the, the the levels, right? Deontay Wilder, while he's nowhere near as big of a star as I think Anthony Joshua is, and you can argue that Tyson Fury might be building a brand with the WWE stuff he's doing, and I don't know, Wilder's probably a bigger brand than Fury, but globally, who knows, maybe it is Fury that's a bigger brand. Still, Wilder is by far the biggest star in the pbc universe and the Charlos for all the talk of young lions this that the other they got some work to do as far as promotion goes and for jamal charlo who's now at 160 we talk about terrence crawford being on the wrong side of the street at 147 we'll talk more about that later on the show actually and at 160 charlo's kind of in a similar situation the thing is man he's look. The promoters, the advisors, all these people work for the fighters. And Charlo's, if Charlo wants the big fights, the big money, the big ratings... And you can't get the big dollars unless you're doing big ratings and you're selling big tickets. That's how it works in this business. It is business after all. It's entertainment. Sports entertainment. That's what boxing is. And He's got to talk to his management. And he's got to get some fights over on the other side of the aisle. All the fighters that people want to see him in against, including the biggest brand in boxing, Saúl Canelo Alvarez, they're on the zone. And I'm not necessarily saying Charlo needs to lead PBC and all that nonsense, but he needs to talk to people over there in his management and say, look, man, let's go over there and do a one-off. I want to fight Canelo. I think if somehow Charlo could entice Canelo to get down to 160, who wouldn't want to see Canelo and Charlo? I know I'd sure as hell love to see it. However... Is Canelo going to go down to 160 for that? I'm not sure. But the best thing Charlo could do is fight Sergey Derevyanchenko next year. That fight doesn't necessarily move the needle. But I do think it'll be clearly the best op- opponent of Charlo's career. And he needs to step it up. His reign at 160 has been dog shit. Some of that's his fault. Some of it's not. But time to step it up, man. Because these ratings, they tell the story. All right, so WBC. I thought this was interesting, man. The WBC orders Nordine Ubali, the French fighter, with their title at Bantamweight to fight Nonito Donaire, who is coming off a loss to to Naoya Inoue. I don't quite understand this move. So Luis Neri was supposed to be the mandatory. Uh, He had issues again. You know, he's been a letdown several times now. And so the WBC did the right thing and kicked him out of their Bantamweight ratings. They said, hey, man, you might even want to move up that featherweight. Forget super bantamweight. Go all the way up to 126. That was their advice. But putting Donair in at this position, I understand he was the next highest ranked fighter and everything. I just don't, I don't know about this. And I don't know if it's going to cock block a fight that I think a lot of people would really like to see between Inoue and Ubali. That would be a unification. That would essentially be number one versus number two right now in the division. Because Luis Neri is not in the division anymore. And I think Ubali, he was number three. Now you got to consider him the number two guy. Correct me if I'm wrong on that, guys. But that's what I see. So I'd like to see that. Plus, Ubali just beat Naoya Inoue's brother recently. Handed him an L. So that would kind of be a revenge factor. I think that would be interesting. And now it's kind of getting cock-blocked. So I don't know how it's going to play out. But I don't even know if Nonito Donaire is going to continue fighting. I kind of think that his fight against Inouye was sort of like Vladimir Klitschko's fight with Anthony Joshua. And I thought Vlad did the right thing by bowing out, by saying, hey, man, you know, I I passed the torch to that new generation. I'm out. I think that's where Donaire is right now. I I don't know what Donaire could do that to end on a higher note than he did. Yeah, I know he lost to Inouye, but it was such a good fight. And it was he he tested in a way in a way is going to be so much better because of that fight. I mean, I think Donaire should walk away. That's my personal opinion. I don't know if you will, but so that's going on with the BC. The BC also mandated that Javier Fortuna will fight for their vacant lightweight title, probably against Luke Campbell, who's the next highest rated contender. Luke Campbell. Coming off that L to Vasily Lomachenko, no harm in that. He had a really close fight a couple years back with Jorge Linares. So, Devin Haney is their regular, I don't know what the hell you call it anymore, uh, champion at lightweight. But he injured his shoulder. So, he just had shoulder surgery. He's out for a while. So, he's been named the champion in recess. So, now what you're going to have in a few months, Javier Fortuna is likely in early 2020, going to fight Luke Campbell for the vacant, regular WBC lightweight title. Then you've got Devin Haney, the WBC lightweight champion in recess. Then you got Vasily Lomachenko, the WBC lightweight franchise champion. So the WBC taking a page out of the WBA here. They're going to have three champions at lightweight. And don't be surprised they're throwing an interim champion in there at some point. They just might have four lightweight champs at some point in 2020. You can't write this shit. All right, the WBO mandates a fight between Anthony Joshua and Alexander Usyk. They're giving them 180 days to make that fight. Not a big deal, right? That's doable. That's what 5-6 months. Small problem. The IBF has mandated that Anthony Joshua has to fight Kubrat Pulev, I believe by March 31st or maybe that's yeah, I think that, has, that fight has to happen by March 31st, or at least it has to be signed. The negotiations have to be done. There's no way Anthony Joshua, Eddie Hearn, Matrim are going to fight, they are going to do these big events. Remember, every Anthony Joshua fights a big event, particularly in the UK, where they're trying to sell tons of tickets. It might not be 90,000 at Wembley, but even in Manchester and some of these other areas, they're probably trying to do 50,000, 60,000. There's no way that they're going to fight Usyk, And Pulev in the span of a few months. Ain't happening. So like I've been telling you guys, I really think... I I understand Eddie Hearn has good relationships with the BO and the the BF. Everybody does. But at the end of the day, man, I I think those titles are going to get broken up. And I still think if I'm playing boxing businessman here, I think that the WBO is the title that they're going to dump. Because it makes sense... For Hearn, from a management perspective, because if they dump that title, Usyk will fight for the vacant title. He'll probably win it. So then Eddie Hearn will still control the BO, and then the BA and the BF will still belong to Joshua. So Eddie Hearn will control that. Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury are likely going to fight twice more next year. Don't shoot the messenger, but that's what I'm hearing. That if their second fight is close and competitive, they're going to run it back a third time next year. It's clear Wilder and PBC do not want to do business right now with Anthony Joshua. I don't see that fight happening next year. So, if your team Joshua, if your team Eddie Hearn, it makes sense to go this route because you've got the quote unquote unification fight, undisputed. However, you want to you know push it or market it between AJ and Usyk late next year. You could even possibly. I hope this doesn't happen, but possibly milk it into early 2021. Please, I hope that doesn't happen. Okay, also, uh, WBC has mandated, or remandated, I should say, Dillian White as their interim heavyweight champion. So the Wilder Fury 2 winner has to face him. Here's the thing, and this is what I don't like about this ruling, that I think is unfairly punishing Dillian White, which the WBC is just, they've really got a hard-on for the guy. Wilder and Fury are fighting next February, right? February 2020. So they have a year from that fight to face Dillian White, even though he was the interim champ early this year and lost that distinction because UCAD screwed up. It wasn't Dillian White's fault, unless Dillian White is some sort of evil genius and fooled Vada and fooled several other UCAD tests. It was one UCAD test that had traces, metabolites of a banned substance, Right. And then the whole B-sample thing just fell apart. So um, I just, that feels unfair to Dillian White. I think that the one-year thing should be retroactive to when he was made the interim champion. Not a year from when Wilder and Fury are doing the rematch. That just doesn't seem right to me. I don't like that ruling. Trini, with the Super Chat pledge. Thank you, my friend. Thank you very, very much. He says, the WBC is piss. At the <laughs> the WBC is pissed. That's all you got to say, brother. <laughs> hey, man. Flip a coin between them and the WBA. I, I will say this about the WBC, okay? I'll give them this much credit. Number one, uh, I needed to talk to Mauricio Suleiman recently for a story. And he was very, very open and transparent with me and spoke with me on the phone. And uh, through email. Also, the BC does do some drug testing and they have a weight management program. And they're trying to, one of the things I talked about with Mauricio is they're going to try to come out with a program next year uh, to try to regulate sparring in gyms, where there's going to be a log in each gym where trainers uh, have to uh, basically put down every fighter that's sparring, how many rounds. If a dude has been concussed, they have to report that to the commission. So the BC is trying to do some good work for fighter safety. But all the other 9,000 titles and all that, yeah, bro, I'm with you. Yeah. Trinity with another super chat. He says, uh, for rejecting the diamond title. Who rejected the diamond title? You got, you got to explain that one, brother. Thank you for the super chat again. But your, your comments say the WBC is pissed at the monster for rejecting the diamond title. Uh, oh, Monster you, Okay, okay so <laughs> The WBC pissed on the Monster Or they're pissed at Nayoya Inouye for rejecting the Diamond title I got it now, I got it Hey man, a couple of typos But you know what? I spell typos in just about every one of my tweets So don't feel bad Yes, I completely agree, agree with you, Trini And props to Inouye you know what, and I got to say, Deontay Wilder recently said that he does, he's going to reject the WBC franchise champion if the WBC tries to name him that. I hope he sticks to that. I want to see what happens now that Dillian White's involved in this situation again. If he might become franchise, I don't know, because I know that they were going in that direction early this year. But, um, yeah. We shall see. Thank you for the super chat, my man. And props to Noa for telling the WBC thanks, but no thanks with that shit. Robert Palmer says, what happens first, Brexit or the white versus wilder mandatory? That might be the comment of the night. What is going on with Brexit? I, I do not want to turn this political, but wasn't that voted? Didn't that pass like years ago and it still hasn't taken place? What the hell is going on over there, man? Uh, I could probably do a whole hour long podcast on that. But let's just move right on past the politics. Okay guys. Uh oh hold on we got another super chat pledge from Max Cuckerman. I love the name. And uh I thank you for the super chat pledge, my man. He says Montero has too much faith in boxing. Hey man, I understand. I understand your cynicism. Um you know what? Sometimes I'm a cynic, sometimes I'm a pessimist. I'm always a critic, but I do have faith in boxing because in the end Um, Look, man, in the end, we get great moments, great fights. I think some of the best moments, some of the highest drama in all of sports. I mean, you look at some of the moments we've gotten this year in 2019. It didn't look or sound or play out the way we wanted it to or we thought it would if you go back a year or two. But, man, we got some amazing moments. And there's just nothing in the NBA, the NFL, any of these other sports leagues that can compare to it. I know that you guys were jumping up and down. Even if you're a diehard Anthony Joshua fan, you were at the edge of your freaking seat during, what was it, that third round on June 1st where uh, eight, Ruiz was dropped. Then he comes back and drops AJ a few times and then comes, you know, comes on in the later rounds in, or middle rounds and knocks him out, stops him. I know you guys were jumping up and down, and there probably wasn't another moment in any other sport this year that gave you that. Right? It was one of those moments where you're holy shit, you're gonna be thinking about that for years. You're gonna be talking about that with your friends for years. Like I remember exactly where I was, you know, and how I felt. It was like, holy shit. Those are the moments we only get. I won't say only get in boxing, but I feel like we get them more in boxing than any other sport. Am I a little biased? Yeah, but that's part of why I'm such a fan of the sport. So do I have faith in it? Yes, I do. Do I get frustrated and want to punch a brick wall over and over just about every day dealing with the, the craziness that is in this sport? Of course. Sometimes that's kind of the fun of it, though. All right, guys. So there was a card today from Barcelona, Spain on the zone. David Avanesian fought on that card and scored a first-round knockout, I think. That's already happened because it's over there in Spain. Uh, so there's really not much to report on there or preview. But uh, tomorrow, Friday, December 13th, Golden Boy Promotions at Fantasy Springs Casino. Also on the zone, Virgil Ortiz Jr., my 2019 Prospect of the Year. I think he's officially going to be a contender in 2020. He is going up against Brad Solomon. So on the surface, people might look at this and think, man, this is a complete mismatch. I don't get it. Not so fast. Okay, Brad Solomon... 28-1, 28-1, now he's mostly fought lackluster opposition, I understand that. He's only got nine knockouts, he doesn't hit very hard. However, he did fight Konstantin Pomeranov on the Pacquiao-Bradley, I believe, three undercard, the Pac-Bradley three card, and in a very close split decision loss. Now, Ponomorov isn't an elite pound-for-pound level guy, but he's a good quality prize fighter, and Solomon fought very competitively with him. He also, on the Mayweather Pacquiao undercard, he had a close, I think, split decision win against Adrian Granados. That win has aged very well for him. Granados has gone on to do some pretty good stuff, right? He was a three time Golden Gloves champ, national Golden Gloves champ, not regional, national, as an amateur. So I like this fight for Virgil Ortiz. I think it's a good style matchup that he needs to see. And I think it's going to be a good learning lesson for him. He's only got 14 fights. So I like this matchup for him. I I think that's a good, solid step-up type of matchup for Virgil Ortiz, who again is my runaway favorite for prospect of the year this year. I think he's not only the best prospect Golden Boy Promotions has, yes that includes Ryan Garcia, but the best prospect in all of boxing right now. The only guy that for me maybe you could flip a coin with is Daniel Dubois at heavyweight. I, I I'm all in on Daniel Dubois. I think he's got tremendous potential. But south of 200 pounds, it's Virgil Ortiz Jr. Also on this card, several other prospects, including 154-pounder Sergei Bohachuk and 147-pounder Alexis Rocha. So that's going to be a fun little card from Fantasy Springs tomorrow night. Make sure you guys check that out on the Zone Saturday, December 14th, uh, we got... A couple of smaller cards from around the world, ESPN Plus and, of course, Sky Sports in the UK. They picked up a card from Brentwood, England. This is the Golden Contract Tournament, 175-pound quarterfinals. Golden Boy Promotions has a card on Facebook Watch from Mexico. Diego De La Hoya coming fresh off that KO6 loss to Ronnie Rios in July. Moving up, finally to 126. He was at 122 way too long. I think it ruined his career. I really do. I think I, I was so high on that kid. that kept him at 22 for way too long. And I really truly think it, it prematurely aged him as a fighter. And he's done. He should have moved up to 130 in my opinion. He's fighting Venezuelan Renson Robles a fight that he will absolutely win. Oh, we got another super chat pledge from Komatsuda. He says, please read my question in the live chat. Well, thank you very, very much, my man. And Cole asks, when Canelo is past his prime, do you think he will get screwed and lose a controversial decision to Golden Boy's next up-and-coming star? That's a hell of a question, man. It's very, very possible. Um, It's also possible it could go the other way around. I mean, you know, it just depends on who the guy is. It's not going to be somebody like Ryan Garcia or Virgil Ortiz. Those guys are too small. So I don't know who Golden Boy's next up-and-coming star would be that is big enough, I'm talking in terms of their weight, to fight Canelo. But at some point, you would think that these decisions in Vegas will go against Canelo. Now, you can argue that he's won all of these fights fair and square where he's gotten a decision. You can argue that Many of those fights could have went the other way. You can argue that some of them, I'm not going to use, use the word robberies, but some of them he clearly lost a close fight. Like I still think he lost that first fight to Gennady Golovkin, and there should be no argument over it. The second fight you can argue could have went either way. I truly believe that. It was close. It really was. The first fight wasn't in my opinion. So there's an example, right? But at some point, there will be an up-and-coming star around the middleweight division, maybe super middleweight at that time, maybe it's even light heavyweight, who the hell knows, where the scorecards might go the other way on him. That's the way it happens in boxing. But I'll tell you this, Cole, generally speaking, the way it goes in boxing is a guy like Canelo Alvarez, who's the big brand, fights on a little bit too long, and when he's past his prime, passes the torch to the next generation with a knockout loss. I just talked about Vladimir Klitschko in the beginning of this show. Uh, Oscar De La Hoya passing that torch to Manny Pacquiao. Remember how he just got destroyed? Um, That happens very, very often when a guy's long in the tooth. It doesn't even go to the cards. A young up-and-coming guy just takes him out. I think we're going to see that with Gennady Golovkin at some point. And I think eventually, if Canelo fights on long past his years, which I think he will, he's not going to do an Andre Ward type of thing where he's going to bow out before he's taken really significant, difficult challenges uh, when he's past his prime. He's not going to do that. He's going to stick around. And just like Nonito Donaire, although it went to distance, but Nonito Donaire with Naoya Inoue. I think that's going to kind of be the situation where we see Canelo lose. It's also very possible, though, that at some point he could still lose in his actual prime. One of these guys around here could surprise us. Who knows? You never know for sure. But maybe Canelo fights a guy like Dimitri Bivol, Callum Smith, um, Caleb Plant, David Benavidez. I would favor Canelo to probably beat all those guys by decision. But who knows, maybe one of them will surprise us. It could happen, man. Anything could happen in boxing. Robert Palmer with the Super Chat Pledge. Thank you so much, my friend. He says, why did Vlad not rematch the four guys to KO him? Well, Ross Purity, his brother fought him. Corey Sanders, his brother fought him. Lamont Brewster, he did rematch him. Tyson Fury, he tried to rematch him. Anthony Joshua, there was no reason to rematch him. Um, it, I think he bowed out at the right time after the Anthony Joshua loss. I thought that was a perfect exit. There was nothing he could have did better. He had a chance in that fight, and he just couldn't get it done. He was just too, a little too long in a tooth to close the show. But against again, against Tyson Fury, he wanted to fight him in the rematch. It was Fury who found a way out of that. Lamont Brewster, he did fight him and beat him in a rematch. Vlad had several rematches, even with guys he beat like Samuel Peter, Chris Bird, guys like that. He ended up fighting him a couple times. I think Tony Thompson, it might've been twice, but yes, with uh, Ross purity and Corey Sanders, his brother took care of that. There was kind of a revenge factor, brother to brother because Vladimir cleaned up Vitaly's leftovers when he lost to Chris Bird. Vitaly never rematched Chris Bird. Vladimir did. So they kind of did this brother's honor kind of thing. And that was a marketing thing with them. Look, Clearly, Klitschko, Vladimir, was better than all those guys he lost to at his best, but he had off nights. And that was the thing with Vladimir Klitschko. He was very vulnerable. But for him to lose those fights, especially early on, and come back the way he did and not lose for 12 years, I think it was, 11 I think it was 11 years, 11 years and clean out the division, that's pretty historic stuff, man. So thank you for the super chat, Robert. I appreciate it, man. Um, okay, guys, back to the preview. Also, Saturday, December 14th, the big fight from, or the big card, I should say, from Madison Square Garden in New York City, top rank on ESPN. Not much to say about the main event. Terrence Crawford, 35-0, 26 KOs, third defense of his WBO welterweight title, going up against Igodigis Kavaryauskas, who's 21-0 and one seventeen knockouts, or the mean machine, that's a hell of a lot easier to say. He's coming off, the Mean Machine is, coming off a draw with Ray Robinson in March. Didn't look good in that fight. Really did not look good. So he's got the undefeated record and everything. But you got the sense that at some point, Mean Machine going to lose to one of these kind of guys. And if you're having a draw with Ray Robinson, this isn't the Ray Robinson. This is a much lower version of Ray Robinson uh, get him in there while he's got that O oh, for marketing purposes and expect ESPN to play up the hell out of that. Saturday night, Joe Tessitore and those guys are going to be talking about. Undefeated versus undefeated. Someone knows got to go, blah, 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 blah. Obviously, Crawford's going to run away with this fight. He's going to run away with it. Um, I see Piglet Smith in the chat is saying he beat Ray Robinson. Mean Machine did. Okay, but... If you feel he beat him, well, when you guys, SSB says Walmart, Ray Robinson, I love it. Uh, Maybe he beat him in a close fight, in your opinion, but it still shouldn't have been close. You know what I'm saying? It just shows the level of where Mean Machine is. He was a prospect a lot of people were interested in, and he just kind of plateaued, man. And he just doesn't have those levels. Crawford's going to, should destroy him. He should. I think he'll take his time. But once he switches southpaw and starts switch hitting and finds his groove, it's going to be target practice. He's going to light him up. Probably cut him up. I expect the Mean Machine to get cut up here. Expect some cuts around the eyes. And possibly it gets stopped that way. That could happen too. I don't know. The Mean Machine probably won't win around. What does this do for Terrence Crawford? Not much. Doesn't do much for his legacy. You guys have seen a lot of interviews with him recently where he's talking about, I don't need the PBC guys. They need me. I think Crawford knows that's a crock of shit. He, they need each other. However, the PBC guys, if they don't really give a shit about legacy and they just want to make money, there's plenty of welterweights there where they can make money together. And they can keep doing this round robin. They've got like 10 welterweights that they can keep recycling. I think for Terrence Crawford, what he's, he's lucky... That top-ranking Bob Arum has invested so heavily in the 140-pound division. And I think what you're going to see is at some point, Jose Carlos Ramirez is going to move up to 147. He's a draw on the West Coast. Crawford's a draw in his hometown of Omaha. Maybe they meet in the middle in Vegas. That is a fight that potentially, at 147, I think could move the needle to a certain degree. Not, It's not a huge fight that gets the mainstream's attention, but for boxing diehards and at the venue, I think it could do a really good uh, gate. I think it could do a really good uh, live attendance, uh, ticket sales. There's also, look, Regis Progray at some point is going to move up to 147. He's not aligned to any one particular platform. Who the hell wouldn't want to see Terrence Crawford in Regis Progray? Sign me up for some of that shit. Josh Taylor at some point, he's big for 140. He's going to be at 147. Terrence Crawford has traveled to the UK before. Would any of you be against seeing Terrence Crawford travel to the UK to fight Josh Taylor? I know I'd sign up for that shit. So over the next year or two, some of these guys at 140 that move up to 47 will be there. There will be opportunities for Terrence Crawford. Of course we want to see him fight Pacquiao. That fight's not happening. Pacquiao was with top rank all those years, and so was Terrence Crawford Bob Arum wanted that fight. Terrence Crawford wanted that fight. Team Pacquiao did not want that fight. You think they want it now? Super Chat Pledge from Rebel Dia. Rebel Dia 33, thank you so much, my man. He says, how does Crawford win on Saturday? I think mid-rounds to late-round stoppage. And again, it could come from a punch. It could be some highlight reel type of knockout. But Terrence, generally speaking, Terrence Crawford breaks dudes down. And he's such an accurate puncher. I think he's the most accurate puncher in boxing. And I'm telling you, man, there's something that happens when he finds his groove and gets comfortable and switches to southpaw. He just gets deadly. He's like a sniper. But he's like a sniper with a small caliber rifle. It's not the big caliber rifle that blows your head in half. It's one that just... Little chunks of skin just shreds you up a little bit. And that's what he's going to do to Kavaliowskis I think he's going to likely cut him around one or both of the eyes at some, it wouldn't surprise me, and just slowly methodically beat him down to where either the ref steps in and stops it, the corner throws in the towel, something like that. But there is always that chance of, you know, a one-punch knockout or something. It's just, when's the last time you've seen Terrence do that with a guy who's in his physical prime? It's just not the way he fights. So I look for a late TKO stoppage for Bud Crawford. Thanks for the super chat, my man. All right, so the fight that I'm really looking forward to on this card, I know all of you guys are too. Richard Comey, 29-2 with 26 knockouts, going up against Teofimo Lopez Jr., who's 14-0, 11 knockouts, a decade younger. So it's a decade, basically. It's 9 or 10 years age difference between these two guys. And this is for Comey's IBF lightweight title that he won earlier in the year. A few months ago, a lot of you were saying, man, I think Komei might pull this shit off, right? Why were you saying that? Because Lopez, in his last fight against the unknown Japanese fighter Masayoshi Nakatani, it was the first time that Teofimo Lopez had gone past seven rounds. He had gone the distance once before, but I think there was like a six-rounder. So this is the first time since he's really stepped it up that he went the distance. And more than that, man, it's the first time he went more than seven rounds. This guy really stretched him. And Lopez dominated the fight. I mean, he clearly, clearly won the fight. It wasn't close in terms of rounds, but it was competitive. And Nakatani landed plenty of shots on him. They put a lot of leather on him. Lopez was a little marked up after the fight. He was disappointed in his performance. And a lot of you guys, I remember, right here on the show, in the comments section, when we, when we were uh, reviewing that fight the next week, you were saying, man, I don't know about Tiafema Lopez. I think he got exposed. And I told you guys, slow down, slow down. This was the best thing that could have happened to Fima Lopez because the hype train was getting too big. It was too much, too fast. He had way too many distractions. He was reading the press clippings a little too much and believing his own hype, and it showed. And it's a good thing, and it, I always say this, guys. Top rank and Grandpa Bob know what they are doing. They know what they're doing. They knew what they were doing when they did that matchup. And in the end, hang on one second, I got to stop this dude in the chat who just gets on and hashtags the zone nonstop. In the end, I think it was a learning lesson for Lopez to pull back a little bit and to get serious. So that's what he's doing now. And I've heard from multiple sources, reliable sources, he is having the best camp of his career. I think he's going to look outstanding Saturday night. Not that Richard Akome isn't a good fighter. He is, and he's a tough guy. A tough, rugged, veteran, good fighter. And I was happy for him when he won a title this year because he had two close losses. I think back in 2016 to uh, Robert Easter and Dennis Shafikov. They were very close. Could have won either way, you know, but depending on who you talk to, some people feel Komei won at least one of those fights. Either way, he was competitive with those two guys. However, he's 5-0 since those two straight losses, but not against the best opposition, right? So we don't know exactly how he's going to look when he gets in there with an explosive power puncher like Lopez. He had those two losses to Easter, Shafikov. Those guys... Shafikov's a volume puncher Easter's more of a boxer Neither one of them hits us anywhere near as hard as Lopez So I'm telling you guys right now I'm going to be bold here and make a bold pick I think Lopez is going to look good in this fight I think the first couple rounds He's going to be uh, taking in some information And there might even be some scary nervous moments for him is going to start very well Fast And Lopez is going to do some learning on the job. Remember, guys, this is his 15th pro fight. He was last year's prospect of the year. So he became a contender this year. But as a contender still, man, this is only his 15th pro fight. He's really been fast-tracked by top rank. They believe in this kid. They see something. They've been doing this for a long time, for decades. They know what they're doing. I think he's going to stop Richard Comey. And I think he's going to stop him in very exciting, emphatic, definitive fashion. I think he's going to absolutely make a statement in this fight. And I think that it's going to get people hyped up and excited about a Lomachenko-Lopez fight to completely unify the lightweight division early next year. So that is my prediction. All right, That's it for this week for the preview. Yeah, I'm just looking over here in my notes and that's about it, guys. Let's see what you got in the chat for a few minutes and then um, we'll peace out for tonight. Cole Johnson with a good question. Is Israel Madrimov number two on your prospect of the year list? He's definitely up there. And what's crazy is he has so few fights. I mean, let me look him up right now. I want to say it's not even five fights. I'm pulling up his box record right now. Yeah, it's four fights. Okay. For a guy with only four fights, holy shit. I think that he's very likely, if I can look at my crystal ball here, Israel Madramov's probably going to be the prospect of the year in 2021. It's just, you know, this year, um, I mean, I can't, I, Virgil Ortiz is the guy. He just is the guy. But Madramov went pro last November. So he's only been fighting for a year. He's got four fights under his belt. I think next year he's going to be the prospect everyone's looking at. That kid, they're going to fast-track the hell out of him. Goodfellas Pulp Fiction asks, Why didn't Manny Pacquiao want to fight Terrence Crawford? Well, would you if you were him? <laughs> Not that Manny's afraid of anyone. I don't even think it was necessarily with Manny. Remember, uh, Freddie Roach. Remember he briefly left Freddie Roach and all that? Uh, so there were some things Freddie wanted to do and some things Manny wanted to do. I think some of the people in Manny's team were like, dude. Let's, let's not go that route. Let's go a different route right now. We don't need Ter- <clears throat> Terrence Crawford. Max Cuckerman says, Prime Pacquiao smokes Crawford. Very, very possible. But um, the Prime Pacquiao smokes just about everybody. You know what I'm saying? He was a special fighter in his prime. However, I will say, I think Pacquiao's absolute best weight, he only fought once there, 135. I think that was absolutely peak pinnacle Manny Pacquiao, maybe 140. I think he only did one fight there too. But 135, 135 140, that was his absolute... Like, If I'm raking him historically against the all-time greats, that's where I rate him. I don't rate him as a welterweight. He's not. That's what's so amazing about what he's been doing all these years because he's not a welterweight. He's fighting guys uh, so much naturally bigger, <coughs> bigger and stronger than him and doing so well for the most part. It's It's pretty damn amazing. And for the record, I got to say, it's going to trigger some of you, but Vasiliy Lomachenko is kind of doing that right now at lightweight. He really is. If he ends up beating Teofimo Lopez, who I think is going to beat Comey, but if he beats Lopez next year at 135, that's special because is really a featherweight. He could make featherweight right now if he really tried, if he really wanted to. I don't think he would. He'll go back down to 130. But he's really a featherweight. Remember guys, Lomachenko is not in his 20s doing what he's doing right now. He's not still growing. He's a grown-ass man. He's in his 30s doing this shit. There's a difference there. Lawrence Nye with a good comment, though. Uh, Prime Pac-Man was crazy, but Bud might be wrong for him. Juan Manuel Marquez gave him hell in all their fights. I concur. I think Bud Crawford has a style that would give just about anybody problems. Anybody. Could you imagine Terrence Crawford against... Floyd Mayweather at 140. Holy shit, what a good fight that would have been. John Udoin, he says, Mike, do you think the history between Conlon and Nitkin will produce any fireworks in the ring Saturday? I think so, man, because Conlon has shown that he is an emotional guy, right? We all remember the flick-off, uh, flicking off the judges at the Olympics. So, yeah, I think... in. You know, I think Conlon realizes, I'm just pulling up his record. So he's got 12 wins, seven knockouts. He hasn't exactly set the world on fire with some of his wins. Uh, but I think, yeah, given their, their little history there, there absolutely might be some fireworks. Uh, Nitkin is 3-0 and as a professional so far. And I want to say all his fights have been in America. So um, I think he's going to be comfortable in this setting. I really, really do. And I'm 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 actually, you know what? I should have brought that fight up. That's my bad. I should have brought that fight up. Cause I'm definitely gonna be checking it out. Goodfellas Pulp Fiction asks, Did I see the highest paid athletes video? Yeah, I actually tweeted that out and posted it on my Facebook. That was pretty damn fascinating. For those of you who follow me on Twitter, look that up, man. I posted like There was like a a little video, it was like maybe a minute and a half long, that just showed a graph of the highest paid athletes from 1990 to 2019. And boxers were always among the top guys. Always. You know, there's a lot of NBA guys up there and stuff. but Tiger Woods owned it forever. Michael Jordan owned it forever. But man, you go all the way back to 1990, all the way through today, if you are among the top two or three biggest brands in boxing, you're among the highest paid athletes in the world. It's pretty amazing. Boxers just historically have, they, that's why they call it prize fighting. They still make all kinds of cash, man. So if Anthony Joshua, look at what he just made. So next year, when next year's list comes out, he's going to be on it. We already know Canelo Alvarez will be. Depending on what happens next year between Canelo and maybe Golovkin if they do a third fight or whatever, who the hell knows? Um, at some point, if aj fights deontay wilder or tyson fury those are going to they're going to be massive massive paydays hundreds of millions of dollars are going to be made by a handful by less than five prize fighters over the next three years alone hundreds i'm not saying tens of millions hundreds of millions over the next three to four years three four fighters are going to make that money it's crazy Lawrence Knight asked, niche sport? Yes, it is a niche sport. But it is an insanely highly paid niche sport. Um, There's just nothing else like it. You know, again, when you look at that video of highest paid athletes and you look at the other sports, generally speaking, they're bigger, more popular sports. Maybe not necessarily in the United States. Because I saw like some Formula One racing guys and stuff. That's not big here in the States. But over in Europe and stuff, that's huge. Tennis. Piglet Smith brings up tennis. That's big in other parts of the world. So um, boxing, you know, while it's much bigger overseas than it is here in the United States, a lot of the money, the big money is still made here in the United States. So I call boxing um, underground mainstream. Now, let me explain that. That's just kind of what I call it. Boxing is an underground sport or a niche sport. In the sense that most diehard fans, you know, it, it's niche. It's it, it's not a mainstream sport that everybody watches religiously. So that's why it's a niche or underground kind of sport. And that's what I honestly what I like about it because I like I feel like I have more ownership over it. I feel like it's our sport more so than all the corporate stuffy sports like the NBA. All that's propped up by corporations. Actual viewership of the NBA itself is way down. Uh, attendance is down. That's why they have, that's why they kiss China's ass. You know, so even though they're all woke social justice warriors, they need that China money right now. Um, but, so boxing is underground or niche in that respect, but it's mainstream in the respect that it is part of, at least here in America, it is part of our culture, our heritage, not just in sports, but in just our social culture and heritage. There's so many like, Pop culture phrases and references to boxing all the time on TV, on TV commercials and stuff like that. Uh, You hear terms in business meetings. There's bankers saying, "Guys, that's the fourth quarter. You know, we're we're up against it. We're we're in the red right now, but we're gonna roll with the punches." Yeah, you hear that kind of stuff, right? Boxing expressions, you know. I'm gonna counterpunch. You know, in a courtroom, you know, lawyers. "I'm, I'm gonna counterpunch. You hear these sorts of expressions all the time. So, like. Boxing is part of our mainstream consciousness, but the true fans of it, it is niche. So I call it underground mainstream. That's just what I call boxing. Yes, Goodfellas Pulp Fiction. Floyd did make the highest paid list. He owned it for several years. It's so funny, man, because it reminded me. I was actually at a red carpet function in Hollywood several years ago. This goes back probably to 2015, something like that. 2014, 2015. 2015. And um, at a premiere for, for a film that a friend did, some indie film. And the director, I was having this conversation with him. And I was explaining to him, Floyd Mayweather is the highest paid athlete in sports. And he goes, that little guy, that really tiny boxer, there's no way. He could not believe me. And I was like, dude, you know, I'm a boxing writer. I'm, a, I'm on the beat here in LA. I Trust me, I know this stuff. He's the highest paid athlete in the world. He refused to believe me. He just flat out could not comprehend that a guy who weighs 147 pounds could be the highest-paid athlete in the world because this dude was just a born, bred, true-blooded American, and he just thought you got to be some big NFL dude and weigh 250 pounds, or be like LeBron James and be six foot eight or something to be the highest-paid athlete. There is a mentality here in the United States about that that I don't think that I think people in other parts of the world don't necessarily have. But I don't know. So it just, I don't know. That just popped in my head. It was interesting. Maybe think about that. Anyway, um, all right, guys. I think uh, we're good for tonight. The preview show is in. We will be back Monday to review everything that took place to see if I was right with my pick with Tiafema Lopez stopping Richard Comey or if I was way off. We shall find out. All right, guys. So remember... Just share this on your social, man. That helps me out so much, all right? Spread the word about the show. Post it. Tweet it. Get it out there to the people, all right? I appreciate all you guys. Have a great night. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the fights. I'll see you at the fights.